Good to see you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here with us today. Hey, you know, last week I got to do something that I've been looking forward to forever, something I haven't been able to do for years. I went to my first Raiders professional football game. I was so excited. You know, I looked out at the schedule, and I knew there was only like one game that was in the afternoon, evening kickoff, you know, that didn't conflict with church services. So we had it planned, right? We scoped it out. We're like, that's the, that's the game. And so we went last week, got to tailgate with some friends. The weather was perfect. It was amazing. We go in the stadium. It was crazy energy at kickoff, 65,000 people yelling like crazy. And the loudest of all was the person right behind me and the guy right beside me. I mean, I was, these people were into it, man. They were yellers every play, you know. They were, they were bringing all their energy, and, and it felt like there was so much hope at kickoff. There was so much anticipation, you know, like, like we're, gonna, we're gonna beat the Chiefs again, and people were excited, and then as the game went on, you could sort of see the emotional arc of hope to hopelessness. As we got into the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter, the lady behind me, she just sat there. She wasn't yelling anymore. The guy beside me had no more smart aleck remarks. He just sat there. And the whole stadium got a lot quieter from the silver and black fans. It was just a sense of like, man, we started with so much hope and then it became something else. And before the game was over, everybody was looking at their watch and doing the math, and you realize there is no miracle that could pull this game out in time, so we better get out of here and beat everybody else, you know? And so people were hitting the exits like crazy, and it was an amazing experience. Mostly, Lori and I were just glad to be in the room. We loved it, and I've been proud of the Raiders. I mean, when you lose your head coach and your top two number one draft picks, I mean, it's tough to be resilient, and they have been incredibly resilient, and there's always this week. That's what I'm saying. So it was fun. But as I'm sitting there thinking about that experience, I did get to see that kind of arc about a game from hope to hopelessness. And I think we all go through that in our own way in our lives, right? Sometimes it's hourly. Sometimes it's daily. Sometimes it's the season that we're in. You start out on a new job or a new task, a new project, a new business. You have so much excitement and anticipation. You start out with a new relationship or a new venture, and there's all kinds of hope and optimism and excitement and energy. But then fast forward, and you take some blows, and things get difficult, and they get hard and challenging and sometimes it can just feel like hope has left the building, right? Like you just feel defeated and you feel uh, subdued. All your energy's been knocked out of you and you're just kind of hanging on in that moment. Maybe you're looking for the exit, right? How do I get out of this situation? I want to talk to you today about how we can hang on to hope even when we feel defeated, and how God and his goodness can make a difference in our life even when life has taken us down, even when it feels like it's the fourth quarter and there's no way we're gonna win. And to do that, I wanna look at one of the classic stories of the Bible, one of my favorites, the story of David and Goliath. So let me just kind of set this up. 
David and Goliath is a story that begins with two armies who are facing off. On the one hand, you have the Philistine army who's on a hill on one side, the enemy army. And on the other hand, you have the Israelite army who's up on a hill on the other side. And there's a valley between them. And for 40 days, this guy from the Philistine army named Goliath walks out from his army, walks down into the valley, and basically begins to taunt the Israelite army. He's like, send somebody out. Is there nobody among you who will come and fight me? And the whole idea was, hey, you send one person out who will fight me, and if they win, then you win the whole battle. But if I win, then we win the whole battle, right? And so everybody's watching this, and the Bible says the Israelites were terrified and shaken. Can you imagine for 40 days The same scenario where this huge guy comes out, Goliath. The Bible says he was nine feet tall. He had all kinds of armor on. And he's just like, you know, bring it. I'll be back. You know, and then the next day, he's back. Same thing. They're demoralized. They're defeated. They're like Raiders fans in the fourth quarter. The game is over before it's over. The fight is over before it happened. Like, like that's, where, that's where the Israelite army, that's how they felt. And they weren't sure what's going to happen, but, but they felt pretty, pretty defeated in that moment. And then we meet this delivery boy, this little teenage delivery boy who's running some errands. He's not part of the Israelite army. He's not been part of all this. He's just running errands, and he has to check on his brothers. It's one of the things his dad asked him to do, so he has to get up next to the front line of the Israelite battle to check on his brothers who were in the Israelite army, and all of a sudden, he overhears this Philistine warrior taunting God and mocking God and mocking the Israelite army, and this young man, this teenager's man's name, was David. And David's like, what is, who is this dude? And you guys are just letting this happen? Check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. When we get to the red words as I read this, let's just say them out loud together. It's how we make sure everybody's awake. But this is what David says. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the what? Living God. God, David's looking out and he's like, who is this guy that he's allowed to come out and say this stuff? And it's almost like he has not so much a self-confidence, but a God confidence. Like, oh man, you're messing with the wrong dude. And David begins to step in in this moment and step up. And his story has inspired people for thousands of years since. But there's some things we can learn about how to deal with with defeat in our lives, and some principles that we can learn because God can turn the valley of defeat into the valley of victory. First thing you see with David is this. You gotta recognize the real giant. You gotta recognize the real giant. You know, uh, appearances can be deceiving. Like, I don't know if any of you are getting ready for Christmas yet. You're thinking about it. Maybe some of you are trying to organize your Christmas picture. You know, when your kids are away, then they come home, like at Thanksgiving or whatever. You got to get it done when you can get it done, right? So we're already on all that. But it reminded me, to, to, uh, as we were looking back through Christmas pictures, of this one Christmas picture we took um, uh, many years ago. I'll bring it up on the screen. We had, we're living in Southern California. Look at how young we were then. Look at that. We're living in Southern California, and, 
And we thought, it'll be so cool. We'll go down to the beach, and we'll make a, you know, a, a sand snowman, and we'll do this Christmas picture. It'll be awesome. So, so we go down. We drive down to the beach, and we didn't realize that it, there had been a sewage spill. And there is literally no, I mean, I think technically the beaches were closed, but it's not like they're out there patrolling them. But there's just nobody on the beach. Because when we got out of our car, I mean, it, the, the, the air was toxic. It was like having a diaper in your face. It was unbelievable. Because I remember, like, we get out of our car and we're like, oh, oh, what's happening? And then we, we go up onto the beach. You know, at this point, we're like, maybe, maybe we should just go back. And then we're like, no, we came this far. We didn't live near the beach, y'all. This is a drive. You know, like, like we came this far. We're going to do it, right? We're doing the thing. And so, so we set all our stuff up. And I remember I'm building this snowman from sand. And, it, and the, the sand is kind of wet. It's a little moist. And, and you sort of had a moment of like, you think this is from the air? Or you think this is sewage, you know? It was so rank. And so we get it all built, and you look at the picture, and everything looks great, right? Like, we're this great, happy family. We're almost gagging on ourselves, but we squeak the photo out. And a lot of things, appearances can be deceptive, right? Appearances can be deceptive. And the same can be true with our problems, Goliath, in, chapter, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, his physical appearance is described in over a paragraph. With such detail, one biblical commentator says, it may be the longest, most detailed description of any person in the entire Bible. We know more about Goliath and his physical appearance than we do about Jesus. And isn't that just like how we treat our problems, the giants in our lives. We know all the details, right? All the reasons things won't work, all the reasons it's hopeless, all the reasons it's gonna end bad. I mean bad, I mean really bad. You know, all the reasons things are gonna turn, like when it comes to a giant and my most defeated seasons, I could tell you all about it because it's all I think about. All the ins, all the outs, and here's Goliath, and we get the breakdown, he's nine feet tall, his armor, he's got all these armor, these little ringlets of armor on, he's fully covered, his armor weighed 125 pounds, maybe as much as David himself. He's got a javelin, he's got a spear, he's got a sword, he's got a guy that goes in front of him that's a shield bearer that bears his shield, a bronze helmet, head to toe we get this description of this dude who is bad. And that's how we often look at our problems. All we see are the details and we see them as a giant, but we don't remember the giant who is greater than the giant we're facing, and that is God. David realizes there is a real giant in the room, and it's not Goliath. There is a real giant in your life, and it's not simply the giant you're facing. It is God himself who is over life and death. And so we serve one who is greater than the problem in front of us. Malcolm Gladwell is a business writer um, who's written a lot of different books, but one of his books, he talks about Goliath. He did some research on Goliath. He brought out some interesting things. Um, one thing is he said, you know, Goliath may not have actually been the threat that everybody thought he was because appearances can be deceiving. In fact, there's some suggestion that maybe he had a genetic disease called giantism. 
You think of like Andre the Giant, the wrestler who had this. People with giantism have a, you know, a, lot of, a lot of challenges. They have joint pain, they have lots of fatigue, they often have double vision. And Gladwell suggests that it's possible as you read through the story of David and Goliath, you kind of see some of this stuff in the text. For instance, he said Goliath, you know, never like goes to people. He always summons people to come to him. Like it's hard to move. It's hard to get around, right? Um, at one point, David comes at him with, and he's got a shepherd's staff in his hand. And Goliath says, you come at me with sticks, plural, and there's a, maybe an allusion to some double vision going on here. So who knows, right? But Goliath, who appears unstoppable, may not have been that unstoppable after all. And then we often think that David is just this teenage kid who's got no skills. But David knows how to work a sling. And check it out. Slingers in the ancient world, man, they were used in battles. They, were, they, would, they would send the infantry people out first like Goliath. They would engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the slingers would like hang back. And they could throw a sling with tremendous force. And they could knock a bird out of the sky. They had tremendous skill. And when you've got a two to three inch hard spherical object flying through the air at that velocity, it basically has the stopping power of a 45 Magnum. What Goliath was about to figure out is he showed up at a, at a sword fight and David brought a gun, right? And so sometimes appearances can be deceiving. Sometimes we see our problems and they get bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives and we think there's no way around this. There's no way we're gonna get out of this. There's no way I'm gonna get out of this financial mess. There's no way I'm gonna get out of this relational mess. There's no way to get out of this addiction. There's no way to move forward. But don't overestimate the challenge and underestimate your God. He's the real giant. He can still show up, he can still move. David was able to face Goliath because he came in the name of the Lord. And you also come in the name of the one who has never been defeated. He's undefeated in power, undefeated in love. He's undefeated in wisdom and caring. He's undefeated in his plan for the world and for your family and for you. He's undefeated in defending and restoring and blessing, protecting, honoring. He's undefeated in history. He's undefeated on earth. He's undefeated in heaven. And even when you feel like the odds are against you, your God is undefeated. Recognize the real giant. Here's another thought, and that is to remember your victories. So David rocks up. He hears Goliath, and he's like, all right, I'll fight the guy. Nobody else will fight him. For 40 days, everybody's been cowering in fear. And so eventually, he gets an audience with the king, King Saul. Now, just a little side note, King Saul is the one who should have already fought Goliath. He was already strong and handsome and mighty and had training, but he's hiding out. And I don't know who he thought was going to come in. He gets the word, hey, somebody's willing to fight Goliath. We finally have a taker after over a month. And um, so... Let him in, right? I mean, maybe he expected The Rock to come walking in or like, you know, I don't know, Russell Crowe from Gladiator, you know, like, and instead it's this teenage boy. 
And King Saul's like, you're just a kid. What, what are you talking? And David has to make his case. And I'm like, man, the number one thing for David is nobody else is willing to do it. So, but David's like, listen, when I was a shepherd watching my father's flocks and an, a lion or a bear would attack the sheep and grab one of the sheep, I would attack the bear and attack the lion. And I would free the sheep from the mouth of the lion. And if the lion turned on me, he literally says, I'd grab it by the jaw and club it to death with my club. It's Goliath ain't nothing. <laughs> Finally, Saul's convinced. He's like, all right. He says, bring, bring, you know, you have any armor? He goes, this, you know, this is all I have. He goes, okay, y'all get my armor. So they get Saul's armor and they put it on him and it doesn't fit. It's all hanging off loose too little. David says, I don't need the armor. Take the armor off. And so David begins to go out and fake. But, but here's what I want you to notice. In, when he's making his case to King Saul, here's what he says. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 37. Help me on the red word. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will what? Rescue, rescue me from this Philistine. The Lord who rescued me. You know what, David? He remembered his victories, not just his defeats. Have you noticed when you feel defeated and it's like the fourth quarter, all you start thinking about is your defeats? You're like, yeah, we may have won last week, but we lost the game before that, or the game before that, or the game before. We might have won in this situation in our life, but we lost back then, and we lost back then, and we start adding up right on ourselves all of our defeats. You know what David does that's so important that can fill you with hope is he remembers his victories, and he remembers how God showed up in his life in the past. God rescued me, he says, from the claws of the bear and the lion, and God can rescue me again in this moment. And somebody today who's struggling just needs to go back and remember the victories you've had in your life. It may be a tough season right now. It may feel like defeat right now, but defeat is not forever. This situation is not final. God isn't done. Listen. When you feel crazy, you got to remind yourself of your victories. The God, the same God who rescued you yesterday can rescue you today. The same God who worked in your life back then can work in your life today. The same God who showed up when no one else would, who picked you up when no one else was there, he can see you through it today. Wherever you're at in your life, God has done it before and he can do it again. He can turn the valley of defeat into the valley of victory. That's the kind of God he is. And sometimes we just got to look back and remember, oh, God has done. God's done amazing things in the past. He can do it again. As a pastor, I look out at the future, and I'm so thankful for all God has done through you and through our church family. And I'm praying, God, do it again. Do it again. You've changed countless lives before. Do it again. You've helped thousands of people before do it again. You've healed people, do it again. You've restored people, do it again. You've taken the bad that happened in our lives and you've changed it to what turned out to be good, do it again. And allow us to rise up like never before and reach out like never before and serve like never before. Do it again, God. Somebody today just needs to remember their victories. Somebody today, when you get in your, somebody drove in and they were defeated, frustrated, 
cut off before you even got to your parking place. Walking in thinking, why am I even here? Why do I exist? You know, why do I breathe? What's the point? And I want you to walk out reminding yourself of all that God has done in your life. Because those victories, they can fill you with hope. Here's a third thought, and that is to then respond in faith. Respond in faith. So David goes out to fight Goliath. And we read that when he goes out, he's got no armor, no sword, no shield, no like armor bearer carrying his shield ahead of him. None, none of that stuff. No 125 pounds of metal on him. David probably weighs 125 pounds. All he's got is his slingshot. And he stops along the way and he picks out five smooth stones. That's all he needs. Because this isn't about David in his mind. This is about God. And so he walks up and Goliath sees him coming, starts talking smack, starts saying, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air, little boy, and to the wild animals. It's game over. And David, he does a whole right. He comes right back at him. Look at this. First Samuel 17. I'm going to give you the church edited version. He says, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what? The Lord's battle. You see that? And he will give you to us. And David basically says, I'm going to cut off your head before you have a chance to sneeze. That's where it was. And we got to pause here and just remind ourselves, David woke up that morning having no idea he was going to end up on the battlefield. David woke up in a little village not too far away called Bethlehem. That was home. It was just another day. It's a normal day. He took care of his father's sheep. He worked out, you know, outside. I mean, it was just another day. He didn't know that this was the day when his whole life was going to ultimately change. He didn't know that this was the day when he would fight the giant in the land for his brothers and his family and his countrymen. He just got up. In fact, the only reason he's even there is his dad said, I need you to take some bread and cheese to the soldiers at the army. Basically, he's the Domino's pizza delivery guy. He's, no, he's an obscure, he's, he's not known, nobody knows. He's a shepherd, right? He's a teenager. He's delivering the pizza. And he's also supposed, supposed to check on his brothers and bring a report back. And that's the only way he gets down near the front line and hears the Philistine anyway and then goes, well, I'll fight him. Nobody else will fight him. I'll fight him. And it just reminds you that sometimes the things you do when no one's looking are the very things God uses to prepare you and to shape you for your breakthrough. Look, I, I don't know if you prayed for a breakthrough in your life, you know, God do a miracle in my life. God, I, you know, I pray for a job opportunity or a relationship opportunity. I pray that, you know, you'll, you'll work in my family. I pray you'll bless me with resources. I'm ready, Lord. Some of you pray, God, back the truck up and just unload the blessings. I'm ready. I receive them. But God doesn't just listen to big prayers. He also looks at small acts of faithfulness, right? Jesus said, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. 
So if you're praying for much, show yourself faithful with little, right? If you're asking God for more, show how you can handle the little he's given you, right? If you're praying that God will do uh, something huge in a life, in a relationship, keep your word. Uh, be honest in what you say. Care for the people around you. Engage in the tasks that he has already given you. Honor your parents. Work in your job like you're working for the Lord. Do the little things that God has put in front of you with great faithfulness. And here's why it's so important. What you and I do today prepares us for the giants we may face tomorrow. So think about this. David spent years protecting his father's flock. That, that's why he's good with a sling, right? Um, David honored his father, even though we don't get the sense that his father honored him very much in the text, which is why he was on the battlefield that day at all. His dad had asked him to go. David literally laid his life on the line for some of his sheep that weren't even his, and it prepared him to be brave it prepared him to step up with courage and later to lead God's people. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And while this part of that is, is because God's spirit came upon him in the moment, David's heart was also shaped by countless acts of faithfulness to his sheep and to his family as well as to his God. So don't despise the small things that you may need to do. Some of you right now, maybe at work, you're like, God, why, why am I working this job? I need a more significant job. I need you to open the door. I need you to raise my profile. God, I need you to turn it up. I need some more Instagram followers. What is going on? Why am I out here in obscurity? Don't despise obscurity because obscurity is the training ground God often used to prepare his people before you get your platform, right? Obscurity is where you learn humility. Obscurity is where you learn kindness and love and gentleness. You learn what really matters in life. And then you're ready for whatever God has for you as you move forward in the future. Small things can make a big impact. And even now, as we are in this Christmas initiative of blessing thousands of kids across our city, making a difference in their lives, a small thing, a small volunteer act, a small volunteer gift, a small act of kindness towards a kid, that kind of faithfulness is what we engage in to show if we can be faithful with little God, we can be trusted with more. And so David... He walks up and here's Goliath and they're talking smack. Goliath is saying all the stuff. David just woke up that morning having no idea how he would end up that afternoon. But what I love about the text is it says David ran. I mean, when it came down to it, he wasn't waiting around. And David charged Goliath. If you're going to die, you might as well die running into it. Right? And he swung that sling and he let that thing go, hit him right in the head and Goliath fell over and the Bible says David took Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. Sorry, Old Testament. <laughs> the Bible isn't being sensitive to our, you know, modern sensibilities, right? And God gave him the victory and the valley of defeat became the valley of victory. The valley where all the hope had gone out of the, out of the room, the fourth quarter, when it looked like the game was over, became the valley of victory because God showed up in that moment.
When you think about it like, there's another way to see the David and Goliath story. Yeah, we could see ourselves as David and learn from him, but we can also see ourselves more like the Israelites. Afraid, defeated, frustrated, in need of a rescuer. Interesting that David was from Bethlehem and somebody else years later was born in Bethlehem and his name was Jesus. Scholars will tell you that this is a foreshadowing in the Bible of the rescue that would one day come through Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again and defeated the greatest enemy for us, who went in our place for us and who made a way for us. And because of him, look, we are never ultimately hopeless because God is always ultimately victorious and we share in his victory. We share in his victory. So maybe you're here today and maybe this is just a reminder when you're defeated. Remember who the real giant is. Remind yourself of the things God has done in your life. Write them down. Type them out in the notes app on your phone. Remember your victories and what God has done. And ask God, do it again. And then respond in faith. Move forward in faith, trusting that God will be faithful and he will show up. Because he's already sent you a rescuer in the person of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you've never really crossed that line of faith. And I'd love to just give you that opportunity to reach out to God and to ask him to move and work in your life. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. So I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you'd like to make that declaration today, you can begin that journey by repeating a simple prayer after me, either out loud or in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. And friend, with every, if every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me just to say before God, to say to me, you're going to follow him in your life today. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bless you. Just reach out to him today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I thank you for each person who's here today. I'm so grateful for those just reaching out to you, and I pray you'll fill them with your hope, your joy, your peace. Bless them in a special way as they follow you. And bless all of us, God. Fill us with your hope and allow us to trust in you even in the difficult seasons and to know we have victory in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's put our hands together for those who made spiritual commitments in their life today. And if you made a spiritual commitment, I just want to tell you congratulations. In fact, I uh, encourage you to go by central.family and just click the link that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. 
We'd love to pray for you. We'd also love to just send you a free resource to help you on the journey.